everyone, I'm Holden Gatsby, and I've decided that after two years of running a shitty YouTube channel and a year of shitty streams, I'd best start a shitty podcast too. For the first episode, I've actually written like this big intro section, uh, but the plan is for this to be more freeform. I'm hoping to do about 12 of these this year, and I'll release it on the last Saturday of each month. So first, after three years, I figured it'd be a good time to introduce myself. I'm Holden Gatsby, a game developer from Manchester. I think the first video game I played was probably Super Mario World, but the first games I've got like real strong memories of are uh, Lilac Wars or Star Fox 64 for anyone who's not from Europe, um, and Ocarina of Time. I honestly don't think that I'd be doing any of the things that I do now if I hadn't played Ocarina of Time. It just had a very strong impact on me when I played it. Leaving the Quakiri Forest for the first time and walking out into Hyrule Field, just, I know everyone says it, but it's like such a strong moment. And it just sort of like first introduced me to how video games could really make you feel. As for how I got into game development, it was kind of by accident. I've always loved video games, like I've said. And when I was younger, I briefly flirted with the idea of becoming like a games journalist or something. But up until college, I was actually planning to become a doctor. I did like really well in high school in like all the sort of like academic-y subjects. So like science, maths, stuff like that. But when I actually started college, I just sort of hated it. Just like absolutely hated it. I realised I'd been making a lot of the choices on like what I did in the future based on like what I thought other people would want me to do and less on what I actually wanted to do and I couldn't handle it and I just sort of like collapsed for a year um ended up dropping out and then I'd returned a year later and chose things that I actually cared about and one of those was a programming class and it turned out I was pretty good at it so I just sort of like carried on from there I attended a talk from a visiting lecturer from a university that was nearby and ended up doing four years at uni with three of those being pure programming with a focus on games and then one year doing a master's in games development which was basically you formed an indie studio for a year and just made video games and released them and it really taught me a lot taught me a lot about working with other people taught me a lot about game development as a whole obviously but some of the main things i learned were like time management i don't think i could put out as much stuff as i do if i hadn't had that sort of training so one of the things I actually enjoy most about making games is that each day is a completely different thing, especially now when I'm making games on my own. It happens a lot when I was in a small team as well, but like especially now, one day I'll be just writing all the basic mechanics for a game, and then the next day I'll be like modeling all my assets, and then the day after I'm writing a story, and then the day after it's just project management, or I'm having meetings with people, or contacting clients and stuff, and it's just a like frequent change and like constant different challenge. And also when you get to one moment where you're just like sick of writing code for 12 hours, you just stop and move on to something else instead if I feel like it. It's actually one of the reasons why I'm not a huge fan of the idea of working like within the actual industry as a whole, because the idea of specializing just kind of puts me off. Like I, I like to be able to do lots of different things at different times and whenever I feel like it and just move from one issue to another. As for why I make YouTube videos and stuff, it's actually because I noticed that I don't really play video games. So when I was younger, when I had like less work to do, I used to just play games all the time. But then I realized that I was spending so much time trying to make video games that I wasn't actually playing anything. I'm actually like a big proponent of the idea that every game has something to teach from a design perspective. So the fact that I wasn't playing many games kind of meant that I was becoming a worse designer over time and I wanted to fix that. I have around 2,000 or so games, with 1,200 of those on Steam and then another 800 on other digital services and physical, and I just didn't play most of them. Like, I think in total, I'd played about 100, 100 and 
20, maybe 200 at most of my games. So I decided to start a YouTube channel because that's what you do with the intention of playing one game a week, which is when I first started doing the sort of Holden's Half Hour stuff. So I noticed that if I'd actually carried on at that rate, it would have taken me 40 years to actually play all of my games. And that would have been if I hadn't like carried on buying games at the time, which obviously I was going to buy new games. I've actually bought new games since I wrote this down. So that obviously wasn't sustainable. So then I started doing two games a week and that dropped it to 20 years, which is still a long time. So now I do three games a week and that's still very long time. So I'm maybe going to try and do even more or I don't know, play more games on top of playing games with the channel, something like that. The streams started as like an extrapolation of that, where I started playing more games, but I wasn't really giving them very long. I was only giving them half an hour each, obviously. So I decided to stream each of them. So I'm giving them now an hour and a half to try and catch me in. Sometimes it works. Like there's definitely games that I finished that I otherwise wouldn't have just because I've been doing it like this. And then I started the LP streams as like a furtherment of even those, where there's games like Valhalla, which I never would have even tried, but I actually really enjoyed. And I'm like really glad that I did the LP of that. And other games like 2064 and Guacamelee in particular, which I think if I hadn't LP'd them, I would never have finished. Especially Guacamelee, because I was just getting really angry towards the end of that. I just really didn't enjoy a lot of it. But I- I'm still glad that I finished it in the end. Finally, we'll get to the sentence videos that I do. These are actually primarily because I really enjoy scripted reviews and video essays, but I also am really bad at writing. Despite that, I figured that a short review is better than no review. And it gives me some form of outlet for my opinions and hopefully will make me more confident in writing so I can make more long form stuff in the future. I actually did at the very early times when I did my YouTube channel, but it really wasn't sustainable. They were okay reviews. They weren't the best. They were just sort of like they existed. I wouldn't see why anyone would care. I liked making them, but it was also that I was making a review a week, which meant I had to like play an entire game and record all the footage and write a review in a week on top of doing all my uni work at the same time. And I just couldn't do that. So that's why they stopped. And then I ended up taking a break from the original stuff and then coming back a few years ago to start all this. But I'd like to get back to sort of more long form stuff in the future, which is one of the reasons why I'm doing this and also why I did my Game of the Year video last week and why I'm going to be doing a Game of the Decade one in the future. Well, hopefully that'll be next month, actually. Oh, and as to why I don't really frequently talk like in my videos and in my streams, one of the reasons for that is that I don't want to draw attention away from the game because I don't feel like me talking is like what's really important with those it's more that the sort of game is an experience but at the same time it's also just like really hard in my house there's a lot of people here and it's very loud the reason i can do stuff like this is because with the sentence ones it takes me like 30 seconds to record each of those and with these ones i can do it just sort of whenever no one's in the house or late at night sometime when i don't have to be when i don't have to be quiet but also when it is quiet from everyone else and i actually record this podcast in chunks So I don't record all of it in one long stretch. I'll record chunks of it at different times and then stitch it all together at the end, which means I can just sort of do it as and when I get chance. I would like to actually talk more in my streams and stuff, but it's not really possible at the moment. Perhaps in a situation where I had like some more money, I could get soundproofing or something and that would help a little bit. But at the moment, I can't. Now that the intro's out of the way, I'm going to be more just sort of checking notes and then just talking off the top of my head on the things that I found interesting over the last month. I'll be following that with a look forward at what's happening next month, like game releases, films, maybe if I care about any of them, and anything else I find particularly interesting. And this is also like a super rough plan for what the rest of these will be like as the year goes on. I'm hoping as well that in the future these will be longer, because I'm not expecting this one to 
end up being all that long but hopefully as i get more comfortable recording and stuff it will become longer and hopefully in a situation where people actually watch them they can like send me questions and i can answer them or like if someone i know feels like it they can come on the podcast but i doubt that'll happen hopefully though maybe one day or then again maybe it'll just die in a hole but i'll do my best that that doesn't happen so the first thing i wanted to talk about was the show dracula which was on the bbc at the start of this month it was written by Stephen Moffat, who you might know as the guy who wrote some of Doctor Who, especially the later seasons, and did Sherlock, which I kind of liked. It wasn't the best, but it was alright. It definitely started alright and got progressively worse, as did just about everything he's ever done. Although, actually, he did a... He did a, um... God, what was it called? He did a rom-com TV show in the, like late 90s early 2000s might be wrong on the time period uh, called coupling and it was really good i remember really liking it at the time and one of the characters from that one of the main characters went on to do a tv show called strange which was just fucking weird it was all about like modern day like demon hunting and there was a guy who was like a tattoo artist who'd tattoo people and then cut off the limbs so he could make some sort of like homunculus thing and this is really not the point of what i was trying to get to but whatever so dracula Dracula was fucking terrible, and I legitimately could not understand it at the end. I I couldn't process what happened at the end of it. It was so weird and physically painful for me that I just couldn't get it. So it started in a convent in Romania, I think. I'm, it's been a month, and I hated it, so I didn't care to remember the details. Um, And a nun walks into a room and asks a zombie whether or not he ever had sex with Count Dracula. And that's just how the show starts. And it just kind of gets progressively worse from there. There was a really good part in the first episode where the zombie and a girl who was dressed as a nun but wasn't actually a nun go to kiss one another, only for them to both get attacked by bats. And the bats then bite the woman on the face. And that was honestly one of the best things that happened during the entire show. It was it was kind of amazing, to be honest. Oh, there was also a bit in that episode where Count Dracula crawled out of the inside of a wolf. So I, I assume you're aware there's a thing where vampires can turn into animals. But in this, it's it's kind of weird. It's not exactly that he turns into an animal. It's more that he sort of like grows an animal around his outer flesh. And then when he wants to turn back into the like human form he doesn't turn back into it he literally has to claw his way out of it i don't really understand i don't know if he just like kidnapped a dog and shoved himself inside it or if he grew it over the top of his normal skin but that that was another thing that happened oh there's one really good scene where the the zombie before he's a zombie he goes to count dracula's castle and he's there to try and sell him a house, basically. Well, finalise the sale of a property in the UK. So Dracula can move over. This is, like, just normal, pretty basic of the original story stuff at this point. So he's in the castle. Um, They're talking. And then they have a meal, and Dracula says he doesn't eat. And Dracula's also really old at this point. Um, And then he goes to bed. And he's having a dream about his fiance. And while having a dream about his fiance. 
in the dream they start having sex only for him to wake up and realize that he's not having sex with his his fiance he's actually having sex with count dracula who's on top of him and then count dracula just sort of like goes blah and runs away and this is actually something that happens multiple times during the show the first episode ends where the in the convent zombie guy died um because oh yeah because dracula wore him as a skin suit like he did the dog so i guess that's just a thing dracula does wears him as a skin suit and tricks the the nun and the woman who was dressed as a nun who wasn't actually a nun and then says that he's gonna kill him and then that's it that's the end of the first episode at this point i was like this is this is pretty shit but i was there for it because it's like just that sort of thing where i needed to know what was going to happen so then luckily i didn't realize at the time but it was one of those shows where it's like one like each episode was the day after each other so i didn't have to wait too long so we get to the second episode second episode they're on a boat and honestly i don't remember the 90 percent of it it's just sort of like dracula killing people on a boat the the more important things that happen is there's a bit where the nun i probably should have mentioned this earlier the nun is van helsing she's just a woman in this but it doesn't really matter but whatever she is um she and dracula dracula's telling her a story about the boat and the playing chess and we know who all the people on the boat are except for the person in room nine so the playing chess and then van helsing kind of realizes after a while that she doesn't understand how she got to where she is the room where the playing chess is just sort of like a big i don't know it looks like the like a basement of a castle and they're just playing chess in it um so eventually she's like who's in room nine and dracula says you know who's in room nine and she goes it's me and then the camera does this like amazing like pan where it like twists and pans and moves up all in one motion to reveal that the room that they've been in all along was a giant nine and i was like this is just like the most moffat thing to have ever happened and it was just amazing and it has to be very clear that i i I absolutely hated this show but there are just moments of i don't know if it's brilliance or amazing incompetence but either way it was something i had to see eventually dracula has killed most of the people on the boat oh sorry there is another scene in this episode where dracula has sex with a sleeping man and then scares him as as he ejaculates um that's the thing that happens multiple times um i i don't know why i think they're playing off the idea that um there's a sort of theory that a lot of like vampire stuff was actually about promiscuous sex which you can sort of see because it's like the 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 fluid contact of like transmitting vampirism and it's all like bites on the neck and it's very intimate and all that it's it's quite clear but i just don't know why they went this way because it's a lot of like dracula having sex with people while they're unconscious and then scaring them and i I don't get both bits i get the i get the having sex with them while they're unconscious but i don't even because i don't get what he gets out of it like he also drinks their blood at the same time but they're like going very literal on the whole like sex angle and i'm just not really totally sure why like he just there doesn't seem to be much point to it uh, anyway right um 
So he's killed most of the crew, killed most of the passengers, and the remaining ones go up on deck. And then one of them's like, oh, I don't believe he's a vampire. So he tries to kill him, and then Dracula just kills him anyway. So, great. And then because of that, Dracula is then able to get to the rest of them. Um, They do actually manage to, like, incapacitate him. They... Oh, I can't even remember what. They sort of, like trip him up or some shit i can't remember he falls off a he falls from like a higher part of the ship to the main bit of the ship i've forgotten what ship names are called but um and then they set him on fire and then he runs away and jumps over the side of the ship i don't know why because they've we've known at this point that the only way to kill him is to stake him through the heart so I, i don't get why they thought this would work but everyone's celebrating like it was amazing, like it was the the end of it. And then we find out that they weren't. So it just felt a bit strange. There's a whole thing about him only being able to sleep on his own soil. Which seems a bit stupid, because it's like, why even try and move to a different country if you know that you can't survive there? His idea was to just transport a load of soil over the sea. But it just... I don't really understand. Maybe it's something that's explained better in the in the original book or whatever, but it's not explained in this show at all. So anyway, he's got a load of soil on the boat. So they throw all the soil away. And then afterwards they realise they didn't throw all the soil away. So he managed to climb back on the boat and regenerate because that's a thing you can do as well. So he regenerates and then he almost kills a guy. Yeah, he almost kills the captain, but the captain manages to crawl away while Van Helsing distracts Dracula and then blows up the boat. So Dracula then goes and gets in his coffin, and sinks to the bottom of the ocean, and then he's okay. And at this point, I just sort of realised that it seems like Moffat's just watched Jojo. I don't know if this bit happens in the original book, but it's it's basically just the ending of Jojo Part 1. It is very similar. But anyway, the end of the episode involves Dracula then waking up and walking onto a beach. And it turns out it's the present day now. Also, Van Helsing's still alive. And we don't know why. And that's the end of the episode. So in the third episode. Now this is the final episode. The first five minutes of the episode are alright. Uh, Dracula comes onto land. He has an argument with Van Helsing, who isn't Van Helsing. He, she's just a woman who is a descendant of Van Helsing, who is also not played by the same person. So they have a conversation while there's a load of people pointing guns at him. And then he... Asking one of them what a video camera is. That was it. He goes over and has a look at it. And then he's like, oh, can I take a picture? And he points it at himself and this woman. And then just takes a gun and kills her. So then everyone starts like trying to shoot him. But then the bats come back. And that was like, great. I was like, well happy to see the bats come back. Uh, he manages to escape. And then just sort of like, turns up in a house. He stuffs one of the people who lives in the house into a fridge. And uh, I should have mentioned earlier, through drinking people's blood, he, like, learns their memories. So he then learns how everything works in the modern day. So he's then having a conversation with a woman about how great the modern day is compared to where he comes from, which is fine, whatever. But then the Van Helsing woman just knows where he is, and I don't really understand. They say it's through... um. They say it's because they just followed the trail of destruction. Like, he's killed people on the way there, okay. But then, 
why did they know specifically what house he was in? And not only did they know what house he was in, they also managed to park a tractor outside it. Uh, sorry, not a tractor, a digger. They managed to park a digger outside of his house without anyone noticing. And then they destroy the house with a digger after a woman runs out of it. Uh, because, sorry, the the woman that he was talking to was inside the house and she runs away because she gets a phone call. How does how does he know her phone number? Why does she just run away as soon as she gets the phone call? Why do they manage to... How do they manage to destroy this house? And why is she okay with it? Anyway, um, Van Helsing goes into the house because she phones him and he tells her to come in the house so they can have a conversation. Um, he then tries to eat her and then realises he can't eat her because she's got cancer and the blood of dying people kills vampires. Which, okay, that's a thing. I'm, I'm fine with that, whatever. So then we just sort of like cut to the next scene where he's inside a like glass prison in a building and it's called the the Harker Institute. I think that's right. And at this point I was just like, oh, okay, so we're just Torchwood now. Because it very much seems like Moffat can only really write the sort of three things that he knows. He knows how to write people who are smarter than everyone else, which is the Doctor or Sherlock or Dracula in this case. Or also Van Helsing, actually, because it's basically just the, the same character, but with a different morality. Um, and he knows how to write, like, secret government organisations. Um, as I mentioned earlier, he's all at rom-coms, but that doesn't really come up. So anyway, he's, he's in this um, he's in this glass prison, and they gave him a tablet so that he could read books. I'm not really sure why, but they did. I'm somewhat getting ahead of myself there. Um, the foundation seems to be about studying vampires i think to cure disease it's not clear they collect teenagers blood for reasons that i never like explained so we're back to the point where dracula's got a tablet so dracula's got a tablet and he's like oh i managed to get on the wi-fi and they're like how do you get on the wi-fi and he's like oh i guess because the uh, password's my name it's like amazing so it then turns out he's been contacting a lawyer via skype who turns up and says, oh, well, you can't keep Dracula around because that's illegal. And the fact that Dracula is a centuries-old vampire, like, they're still actually just more worried about what the law says rather than the fact that he's going to kill everyone. So, whatever. No one cares. They just release him. So he then goes away and lives in a house and does stuff. Oh, he also steals a guy's phone. Right, so that's sort of all the stuff that happens with Dracula for the first, like, hour of this episode. And the entire rest of the episode is actually just introducing us to entirely new characters who only exist for this episode. And it was incredibly boring. There's a girl who has sex with people, and that's pretty much her entire character. Um, there's a guy who... He, he seems to exist because he likes the girl and... He's the person whose phone gets stolen. And that's it. Like, that's those two characters. Dracula, because he has this guy's phone, finds out about this girl. And then they become obsessed with one another. And he takes her to a graveyard. Because he likes going to graveyards. And he says, if you listen really carefully, you can hear all the zombies talking. And she's like, what? Um, so they listen really carefully and hear a load of zombies talking. They also notice a zombie child. 
And he says, don't look at it too much or the zombie child will come to your house. Because, okay. So he then drinks most of her blood at this point and she ends up at her house, like, recovering. And then the zombie child turns up. And then she's all scared. And then Dracula turns up just after the zombie child and goes, "Uh, do you mind if I kill this child? And she's like, no, it's fine. And then he just kills a child. And I don't, I don't know. Why? Why did this happen? What was the point in the zombie child? Was the point of the zombie child just so he could kill the zombie child? I, I, this entire section, I don't understand the point of. I can understand the whole, like, building the relationship between the two of them. And it's like, okay, that took place. But what was the point in the zombie child who was introduced and immediately resolved? Like, there, there was no threat there. It was just a thing that happened. Also, there are other zombies that are introduced to her in the show. And they all seem to have the same face and what i mean is it's not like um it's it's a practical effect and it feels like they had the enough budget to make one face and just put it on each zombie that you see which means that even the child zombie who is a child like five six year old child has the same face as all the other zombies you see throughout the show i, I just don't know i mean it's funny but i don't know what they were going for uh anyway so we then turns her into a vampire but before he turns her into a vampire he says oh by the way make sure you don't get cremated because that's really painful and she's like what and he's he's like oh whatever but i'm getting cremated though and he's like no i don't and she's like yeah that's that's pretty much the conversation that happens um so she gets turned into a vampire and as part of that she dies okay she gets cremated okay she then talks about it being really painful and he's like yep that's what he told you so she gets out, and then that's her character until the very end of the show again. So now we'll go back to new Van Helsing's character. So the new Van Helsing, just after just after Dracula is released from the Institute, she gets, I think she gets a message from him on her phone. And it's just like, oh, well, the only way to beat me is to become me. And she goes, I know what I have to do. At which point she drinks Dracula's blood. Um, I, I don't know. So, she drinks his blood, and I thought this was a Dracula thing, but apparently it's just a thing. Um, she gains his memories, and because she gains his memories, and he drank the blood of her ancestor, she also gains her ancestor's memories? Which, in the show, is represented by her ancestor just lives in her head now. They have some conversations about killing Dracula kind of the last we see about her except there's bits of the show where they go oh you're more like your ancestor now when they have conversations with dracula after this but not really a huge amount of a point to it really so at this point she's also like dying in a bed in a hospital from her cancer um so she starts having conversations with her ancestor and then just goes oh I'm not going to die anymore because I have to stop Dracula, which she didn't care about for the last six months, so she suddenly cares now, I don't know. So she rings the guy whose phone got stolen and they go to Dracula's house and they work out it's Dracula's house because Van Helsing says he's going to live in a big house that's not near a church. And apparently that means that there's only one house in all of London that he could possibly live in, so they get there in about ten minutes. So they get there have a bit of a conversation with Dracula for a bit. And then the girl turns up, who's a vampire now. 
and she just sort of like turns up but Dracula's like oh yeah you're great and she's just sort of like wandering around talking about how great she is and how she's gonna live forever I, I should probably have mentioned earlier there's like a bit of a thing about her being obsessed with her looks okay it comes up in a minute so Van Helsing says to her oh if you're so obsessed with how you look and you think you're so beautiful why don't you take a selfie so the girl goes okay takes a phone takes a selfie and realise she's this burned hideous creature because she got cremated, which Dracula told her not to do, as we've previously been over. And she just starts screaming. The guy who drove Van Helsing to the house, and who has been like secretly in love with this now vampire girl the entire time, just goes, oh, well, you should just come kiss me because I'll still love you even if you're hideous. And she goes, okay. And then she goes over and kisses him, and then he does this like weird like arm twirly thing and then stabs her in the chest and she explodes, which is kind of cool. But as we will learn in a minute, doesn't actually make any sense. Also, he then just immediately leaves. So what the entire point of either of those two characters were, I don't honestly know. Like it, neither of them served any purpose, really. They were introduced in this episode, moved more important characters to specific locations, and then one of them dies and the other one leaves. And that's the end. So... After the guy leaves, it's just Van Helsing and Dracula in a room about to have a conversation. I feel at this point it's important to explain to you what Dracula's house is like. Now, there's only one room we ever see in this house. It's a large, sort of long room with very tall ceiling. With a massive table in the middle. And a giant window at the end of it. Now, why there's a giant window in the house in which Dracula lives, where we know he will die if he gets hit by the sun, I don't know. But that's where he chose to live, okay? So, they start having a conversation, and Van Helsing says to him, Oh, I know what you're really scared of. And he goes, What? At which point she, this woman who, 20 minutes ago, was dying in a hospital bed, jumps up, runs across the table, dives through the air, and pulls down some curtains to reveal the sun, which hits Dracula in the face, and he just sort of throws himself on the floor and starts screaming for about 10 seconds, screaming about how he's going to die, and then nothing happens. And then he stands up, and he's just like, oh. And she goes, yeah, you're not actually going to die if you get hit by the sun, and you don't actually have any problems with religion, and there's actually none of these issues. You're all just a bit of a bitch who has been alive for so long that you're now scared of the things other people said you were scared of. Why other people say you were scared of those things in the first place, I don't know, but they did, and now he is. So when he realises this, he just goes, oh, okay. And just that just resolves him. She just calls him a bitch, says that all of the rest of his family were great warriors and he's just a guy who's scared of dying. And then he just goes, all right then, guess I'll die now, and starts drinking her blood. They're on the middle of the massive coffee table, he's drinking her blood. Um, but he's, as previously mentioned, can give people like visions. Um, so he's given her visions of them having sex at the same time. And then the camera just sort of like pans and zooms out and they're in the center of the sun and then they pan out and they're fucking into the sun and at this point i just don't didn't know what to do like how do you process this information like i i just kind of went and had a conversation with my wife and just had a bit of a breakdown because i i don't know how to process that like what do you do when someone when someone confronts you with this like i don't know what it was supposed to be i think I think Muppet was going for some big artistic expression, but it's just two people 
fucking into the sun and then both dying on a table. And that was also the end. Literally, up until that conversation, which took place in the last sort of, like, 30 seconds of the show, I was honestly expecting Van Helsing and Dracula to just become best friends and then go off and solve crimes together in the modern day because they didn't feel like there was going to be any possible resolution and then they just both die and that's the end. And it's been a month and I still don't know how to process this. I don't know if I could recommend other people watch it. I don't know if this should exist. I don't understand why people keep giving Moffat money. I feel like Moffat must know that this was ridiculous. And that the only reason he's doing this is to see how far they'll let him go. And I mean, and I can't say that in if I was in the same situation, I wouldn't do the same. Someone needs to stop him. Or, if not stop him, give him even more money so we can see what even worse things you can come out with next. So if I'm being honest, I didn't really expect that to take that long. <laughs> so um, I do have a few other topics I wanted to talk about, but they'll probably be a bit shorter. Well, hopefully a lot shorter, to be honest. So first I wanted to talk about the week of delays. Right, it just seems like in that one week, we got, what was it, four different delays? With uh, Final Fantasy VII, Marvel's Avengers, Cyberpunk 2077, and Dying Light 2 being the most recent delay. And it just kind of like brings up this question of like whether or not delays are actually worthwhile. Like, obviously games need more time. When games need more time, that's fine. But in situations like this, like there was the article about how the delay won't actually stop crunch at all. And it feels like if we're needing to delay games and crunch, that's just like doubling down on the already existing issues, isn't it? If we're, if we're putting up the idea of the game development cycle taking like what, three, four, five years, and then we're getting to the end of it, telling everyone it's going to release, and then going, oh, actually, no, we need another six months. Like, the idea that that could happen, totally fine, whatever. Crunch is bad. I don't think that's a controversial statement. The idea of, like, forced crunch is obviously terrible and should probably be a crime. If not already is a crime, we just don't punish it for some reason. The idea of, like, individual crunch, I'm less bothered by because it's controlled by the individual like i've put in ridiculous hours getting stuff done before now just because i wanted to but that was also completely within my control and no one was telling me i had to do that but the idea that you're working in a job and your boss just comes and says by the way i need you at work for the next 13 days straight like that's kind of bullshit and it's bullshit in any industry so not just the games industry but we're talking about games right now but the idea that we're now delaying games that have crunched, and giving them just more time to crunch, it just speaks to, like, larger issues with project management in the first place, doesn't it? I'm not saying that everything is down to project management, but a lot of it is. Like, a lot of it is just poor... Not even poor planning, because poor planning, again, still sort of, like, putting all the impetus on the individual who's in charge of planning, isn't it? When it's largely not, it's down, like, the people higher up from them. People saying, oh, well, we need a game for this quarter so that they can make money. We need to have more realistic development periods. Like, if that's longer or not longer, but smaller scope games, then that's what we need. But we equally need that and low crunch. We need to remove crunch. <laughs> like, I realise I'm not saying anything particularly controversial or particularly, like, strange, but 
the fact that it even needs to be said at all is in and of itself odd and should be unacceptable. But that's where we are. So the next sort of topic that really took my interest this month was the idea of PS4 games coming to PC. There was that article about um, about Horizon Zero Dawn coming to PC, which happened to come out like the day after I finished the Frozen Wilds expansion, which is great. I don't know how I feel about it, to be honest. This entire generation I've been like really down on the Xbox and like kind of regretting my purchase because I have all the consoles, which you can clearly see me gesture to in this audio-only format, and I don't think I've turned my Xbox on in two years. I know for a fact I turned it on in October 2017 because someone, someone paid me to do it, but before that from choice, I can't remember. At first it seemed like a worthwhile purchase, and then the support just sort of died. And even the support it did get, we moved on to this situation now where we've got like the Game Pass and stuff, where a lot of the games are on PC as well. And I mean, that's great. But I also now don't see the point in having bought an Xbox. Like, it just doesn't hold any value for me. And if PlayStation games are going to come to PC as well, I don't see the point in me buying a PlayStation. Now, if it's going to be more like this, where it's old games coming to PC, like Horizon Zero Dawn, Bloodborne, stuff like that coming to PC, that's cool. I'm, like, totally fine with that. Like, that's great. But if it's a matter of, like, more sort of Death Stranding situation, where the game came out and then in six months it's coming to PC, I'm less interested in that, purely because it's also... Like, look at what happened with uh, Dragon Quest XI. That came out on PlayStation, and then, what, like a year later, came out on Switch? And the Switch version has extra content and extra modes and is just a better experience, and now it's just a waste of money me having bought it on the PlayStation. That's the sort of thing that annoys me. Like, it's the idea more that when they come out on PC 6 to 12 months after they've come out on the PlayStation, that they'll get a better version of what I've essentially paid the price of the game for and the price of the console for, for a then worse experience. That's where I feel uncomfortable about this. The actual idea of, like, more people getting to play games, like, yeah, that's, that's great. <laughs> like, everyone should be able to play everything. Like, whatever. I would rather a situation where all games came out on all platforms at the same time. Or, if there were no other platforms and we just had PC and then every game came out on that. Like, for me, that'd be great. But in this situation where we've sort of got, like, half of each, I feel like people just end up losing out. Either you lose out on the sort of like social experience of experiencing the game at the time it comes out with everyone else. Actually, for a good example of that, you can look at Monster Hunter and Bloodborne. Uh, Bloodborne, sorry, Monster Hunter and Iceborne. Like, I played a lot of the PlayStation 4 version, and I played that with people in, like, a chat with people who had PC players. And at first it was, oh, well, when's it coming out on PC? And then it was like, well, my content, like, the patches are behind those, so I haven't fought these monsters and I don't know what that's like. And then it was six months waiting for Iceborne. And I think they said, from April, we'll be getting the same content. And it's like, yeah, great, two years after it comes out, we'll start getting the same content as each other. Like, maybe one day put crossplay in, that'd be nice, Capcom, thanks. But anyway, oh, then we end up losing out on situations like we got with Dragon Quest, like I mentioned before, where a later version of the game is literally just better than the version you paid and played 
And then especially, especially in the situation like what happened with Dragon Quest, where you don't even get the content on the original one, even if you pay extra. Like, I'm kind of annoyed at the idea of it, but I would, I suppose, begrudgingly pay extra money for my PlayStation 4 copy of Dragon Quest to get the content that was in the Switch edition. But that's never going to happen. So the only option there is for me to buy it again on the Switch if I want to experience that content. For me, in that, in this specific instance, it's somewhat less of an issue because I've not actually put a huge amount of time into it. But for other people who've spent like 90 hours playing a game and then a better version of the game comes out and they're just like, what do you do in that situation? Do you just give up on all the time you've wasted or do you just accept the fact that you're never going to get to play a game that's just better than what you've been playing this entire time? Either we should have a situation where we have pure console exclusives or we should have a situation where there are no exclusives. And the final topic I found particularly interesting this month was Byleth being added to Smash. So I watched the stream live and the sheer amount of salt coming from people after this happened was just ridiculous. It was... I find it kind of funny. I, I wish I could describe it in a better way but it was literally just hose mad it was just hose mad like what else do you say like why why is this such an issue like there are six fire emblem characters and two echoes so even if you count the echoes that's eight that's a lot there are six zelda characters three of which are the same character basically like i i main young link i used to main link but I now don't like how Link's bombs work, so I moved on to Young Link because he's basically just the same character. Um, not been, a, never really tried out Toon Link. I, again, they're all the same character. I don't really see much of a difference between, besides specific mechanical changes. There's a lot of characters from a lot of franchises, and there are certain characters that, like certain franchises, which don't get as much representation. And yeah, it would be nice, but it doesn't really matter, does it? Like. You're allowed to be vaguely disappointed. Like, oh, it's not this other character I wanted. I feel like people would have been less disappointed if they hadn't all decided it was going to be Dante. And granted, that was more like a confluence of events where Capcom said, oh, news is coming out on the 16th of January, you should pay attention to it. And then they did, and it was, you get style switching in DMC3 on Switch. Yeah, it's cool. It's a mod for it on PC now, but... I mean, yeah, it's cool. But maybe don't say... Look out for important information about Devil May Cry on the 16th, when it's the same day as a big Smash Direct. Granted, it's not like the PR departments really talk to each other, I don't think, but, you know, could have been avoided. Either way, though, like, it's just a character from a game you might not particularly like. Just, just don't play it. Like, if you bought the Smash Pass you must have known that you were getting some characters you probably wouldn't care about. You can't have expected all of them to be ones you wanted. And if you didn't buy it, if it's that big of an issue, don't buy it. Like, you didn't lose anything here. You just gained something you didn't want. Everyone keeps saying that it's just another sword character, and the main weapon is a sword, yes, but they have other weapons too. Like, each, uh, what, each directional input is a different weapon? So that's cool, and it makes sense within the mechanics of Fire Emblem. People also keep complaining that the character pass says that it will 
feature characters from series never before seen. And using that as a sort of like point of contention with Byleth being added to the game because Byleth is from Fire Emblem and we've seen Fire Emblem characters before. And I, I don't know, can these people just not read? Like, I'm trying not to sound like a dick, but the the past does contain characters from series we've never seen. Like, it's almost entirely characters from series we've never seen. Like, what is it? Like, Joker and Terry and other characters I don't remember. I don't really pay attention, to be honest. But, you know, it's entirely characters from series we haven't seen, except for this one. And the sentence states that it will contain characters from series we've never seen, and it does. There is no issue here. But using this as evidence to support, oh, well, like, they lied to all of us. No, they didn't. Like, they told you the truth. You just can't either, like, understand English or you you do understand, but you just want to whine about it anyway. Right. I don't want to come across as a dick, but I, I just don't think this is, like, as big of a deal as people are making it out to be. Like, don't matter. Like, is this just one of those situations where I am not emotionally invested enough to understand the anger? Although, to be honest, like, this annoyance reminds me in some ways of the same annoyance we had with Pokemon, where they removed a load of Pokemon. And, like, I'm way more emotionally invested in that, but I still didn't think it was quite as big of a deal as everyone was making it out to be. Like, it was pretty annoying. I wish they'd had more Pokemon. Although, as you may have heard in my Game of the Year video... I also wouldn't have cared if they'd had even less Pokemon. But, I don't know. Maybe everyone else has just blown it out of proportion and I'm the only reasonable person. Or maybe I'm not. Maybe that actual sentence makes me sound insane. I don't think so. I, I think that's a pretty reasonable way of thinking, though. Just don't get mad when a thing you don't like happens. Like, you lose nothing. Nothing changed. Oh no. And anyway, they've just announced that there's going to be six more characters. Just wait for those. And I desperately hope they're entirely Fire Emblem characters. So, that was all the topics I was uh, particularly interested in this month. And I want to end this off with a look forward to what's coming out next month. Now, there are no films coming out next month that I care about. Uh, so it's just games. So, on the 4th of February is The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance Tactics which is a tactics game in the vein of Final Fantasy Tactics or Tactics Ogre, from what I understand. Um, I played it at Gamescom, and it's fine. I'm really only mentioning this because otherwise my wife will be annoyed at me. On the 14th is Darksiders Genesis. It's a Diablo-esque Darksiders game, which came out on PC in December. Oh, and Stadia, for the two people who care about that. Um, and it's coming out to PS4 and Xbox One. Uh, also on the 14th is Dreams. It feels like it's been a thousand years since this was announced, and I still have no idea what it is. It seems like people can make cool stuff in it, though, so maybe it's worth trying? On the 18th is Vanquish and Bayonetta, which are both amazing um, by Platinum Games, and they're getting re-released on PS4 and Xbox One. You should really probably get them both, but if you only have the option to get one, I'd go for Vanquish, personally. And then finally on the 20th is Devil May Cry 3, which I've been reliably told this is the best DMC game and it's releasing on the Switch. Um, and also on the 20th is Persona 5 Scramble, which is a Persona-themed Warriors game 
So if you like either or both of those things, it might be worth picking up. Although it's only coming out in Japan. So I'd probably try and wait because I don't think it'd be worth importing it. Well, maybe if you're really into either of the series, it might be. So yeah, that's it. If I'm being honest, I've been kind of putting off doing this. I I, I knew I wanted to do it at the start of the month, but I was kind of worried how it'd go. Like, I didn't think just me sitting in a room on my own talking for like an hour would make sense. Like, to me. Um, But it's gone better than I thought. I got a hell of a lot of time out of um, Dracula, didn't I? I feel like I could have spent a bit longer on each of the other topics, but, I mean, I suppose I'll get more used to it as I do more of these. I also feel like it'd go better, easier, if I had someone else to, like, bounce off. So, if anyone wants to, let me know. But, yeah, it's kind of fun. Like, I'm only really doing this because it's the only one of these types of things I don't really do, isn't it? And I figured it'd be cool to learn how. Like, I already had the sort of, like, audio edit and stuff kind of worked out, but... I'll look at, like, actual podcast platforms that I can upload to and see if I can. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>